0: Welcome to Macquarie Street, the national political podcast coming to you from the crucible of Australian democracy. Here's your host, Lyle Shelton.
1: Hello and welcome to Macquarie Street, your weekly dose of political commentary. Observant members of this audience will know that I've rebranded my podcast and that's for a couple of reasons. One, I'm living in Sydney these days and I'm working with the Christian Democratic Party, which for 40 years has had representation in the New South Wales Parliament, which is located in Macquarie Street. Now, Macquarie Street is, of course, named after our most successful colonial-era governor, the great Scotsman, Lachlan Macquarie. I've just finished reading a biography about his life. He's a fascinating man who left an incredible legacy from the early days of British settlement. Macquarie uh, Macquarie Street is where parliamentary democracy began on this continent, and from here it spread to the other colonies, uh, which became states, and of course to Canberra. Macquarie believed Australia could become more than just a giant prison island for the offcasts of the British Isles. He dreamed of a nation where men and women who had served their time could re-enter society and prosper. He dreamed of a nation where free settlers could come for a better life. He dreamed of providing education for indigenous children and even took tentative steps in that direction with the approval of their parents. He also dreamed of a nation where slavery of other humans was not allowed. Now that was a radical idea in the late 18th century. These were great dreams and they were all realized in the building of modern Australia. But something has happened. We're less confident about our history. The values that have stood us in good stead are under attack. Our nation seems to be sliding backwards. Cultural Marxism, cancel culture, genderqueer ideology, the attacks on human life and family, along with out-of-control debt, are all symptoms of our failed politics. I think Lachlan Macquarie would be very concerned if he came back today and saw what was happening. That's why we need podcasts like this, not just to sound the alarm and point out the craziness, yes, that of course is necessary, but we need podcasts like this to also offer hope for a better future. Macquarie arrived in Australia in the wake of the Rum Rebellion. The place was a mess and he set about cleaning it up. He left after more than a decade with things in far better shape than he found them. That's the challenge for you and I. That's what I want to inspire with God's help Through this podcast. This week, I want to talk about some of the big issues in our politics. Some like net zero are dominating the media cycle. Others, like your ABC's sexualisation of little children, are not. So thanks for your company. Let's get into it.
0: When World Rugby found that females were a hugely increased risk of serious head and neck injuries when playing against trans women, Sport Australia dismissed it. When peer-reviewed research was released demonstrating the advantages males have over females, even even after testosterone suppression, Sport Australia ignored it. When the IOC allowed a young female athlete to miss out on the Olympics so a 42-year-old biological male could compete in the women's category based on guidelines the IOC has since admitted are not fit for purpose, Sport Australia refused to comment.
1: Thousands of mainstream Australians admire the Liberal Senator Claire Chandler. I'm one of them. She stands up in Parliament and says women and girls' sports should be protected from the intrusion of biological males identifying as women. Everyone with a brain agrees. Yet her own Morrison government ignores her common sense, pleading for the taxpayer-funded $419 million a year Sports Australia to act. The Sports Minister, fellow Tasmanian Liberal Senator Richard Colbeck, does nothing but why would you expect him to his first act as sports minister in 2019 was to issue transgender guidelines for women and girls sports He since sought to distance himself and the morrison government from the human rights commission rules that he launched but he has done nothing to rescind them what is the point of a conservative liberal nationals government if it won't act The radical left and the mainstream media would go into apoplexy if they did, so, so what? Mainstream Australians everywhere would cheer and the issue would be over in a day. But sadly, in every educational body, from kindergarten to the Australian Institute of Sport, LGBTIQA plus gender fluid ideology rules. The setting of gender fluid ideology in cement was one of the byproducts of the same sex marriage debate, which abolished the gender diversity requirement of the Marriage Act. So it is left to Senator Chandler to tread where timid Morrison government ministers won't. In yet another speech to the Senate this week, she revealed that the UK Sports Council has done what Sport Australia won't. It found three things. Categorisation within the sex binary is and remains the most useful and functional division relative to sporting performance. Two, competitive fairness cannot be reconciled with self-identification into the female category. And three, based upon current evidence, testosterone suppression is unlikely to guarantee fairness between transgender women and natal females. No kidding. You don't need a degree in sports science to know this stuff. Boys and girls, men and women are different. And by the way, water is wet. Yet Senator Chandler can't get past first base in a Conservative government with a Christian Prime Minister. Of the UK Sports Council's work, Senator Chandler says this, take a listen.
0: These findings are direct contradictions to Sport Australia's position that women's sport should be based on gender identity rather than sex. So what did Sport Australia have to say about the UK findings when they were asked by the media for comment? Absolutely nothing.
1: If Sport Australia won't do its job, it should be defunded. Sadly, it may take future legal actions from the family of a brain-damaged girl to prod Sport Australia into rethinking its inclusion policy. Ideally, the Morrison government should do its job before it comes to this. Look, at the end of the day, what counts in this area of policy is the targets and how those targets go down individual industries, farming, transport, uh, industry more generally, uh, resources and so on. That's what counts. And So what Labor is doing here is taking a very aggressive target, 45% emission reduction target, and creating mechanisms to drive that into the economy, Mm. and at the end of the day, that will be a wrecking ball because the targets are so high. Now, that was Morrison Government uh, Energy Minister Angus Taylor commenting way back in 2019 when Labor released its policy to cut emissions by 45% by 2030. Two years on, the Morrison Government is about to go to Glasgow to ink a deal with globalists for Australia to go to net zero carbon dioxide emissions by 2050. What is true about emissions cuts being a wrecking ball in 2019, but not today? Now no one wants to destroy the climate or any other part of the environment. On this we are united. How we steward this planet so future generations can also prosper is the point of contention. But like so many debates driven by fashionable elite opinion, mere questioning of the assumptions of climate policy invite ridicule, not reasoned arguments. As climate yet again dominates Canberra politics with the nationals agonizing over whether they should support net zero carbon dioxide emissions by 2050, there's been an air of inevitability about where this is going to land. Scott Morrison has said he'll go to the UN uh, COP26 summit in Glasgow and take net zero there. The fact of climate change replete with rising and falling sea levels throughout the millennia, uh, which has been going on since before man-made machines uh, emitted any carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, makes these modern presuppositions difficult to stomach. Despite the apocalyptic um, predictions of drought, fire, flood, none of this has been more aberrant than normal. Australia contributes 1.3% of man-made emissions, not enough to make a difference if cut. It leaves us scratching our heads. To make matters worse, the countries responsible for 45% of emissions, China, India, and Russia, won't have a bar of COP26. You never see Extinction Rebellion gluing themselves to the fences of the Chinese Communist Party's embassy. Yet a bunch of Christians were protesting for climate justice outside Morrison's Cronulla electorate office this week. Instead of Xi Jinping, the political pressure is piled on Morrison to go to Glasgow and promise Australia will do whatever it takes to restructure our economy by 2050 so that we can emit net zero CO2. And no one can tell us what it will take. Well, that's not entirely true. Before the 2019 election, there was commentary aplenty about the cost. As we saw from Angus Taylor, Morrison said of Labor's policy to cut emissions by 45% that it was a reckless target that will come as a tremendous cost to Australians. As chairman of the National Party's think tank, the Page Research Centre, John Anderson commissioned research by respected economist Brian Fisher. Now, it showed that Labor's plan would rip $472 billion out of the economy, slash, 336,000 jobs, while cutting wages by 8%. This modelling, along with uh, Bill Shorten's inability to say how much his policy would cost, effectively cost Labor the election. Fast forward two years and it is as if none of this happened. No one has explained what's changed, apart from perhaps the US and UK extracting a climate promise from Morrison as the price for the AUKUS nuclear submarine deal. Shorten is entitled to feel what Old Testament prophets feel when events transpire, as they said. Despite the Nationals under Barnaby Joyce 2.0 saying, uh, not so fast and demanding to know the costs of net zero by 2050, we are none the wiser two weeks out from Glasgow. Here's what the National Senator Matt Canavan had to say during the week.
0: As I said yesterday, we've given very little detail about this and I, I'm in the position of uh, being asked to marry a girl that uh, uh, I haven't met.
1: It's hard to comprehend that this is the decision-making process of our government on one of the biggest structural changes to our economy ever contemplated. Already, Australia's transition to green energy has cost middle and lower socioeconomic people dearly. Their electricity prices have doubled. We may not uh, have a carbon tax, uh, but plenty of taxpayer money continues to be pumped into unreliable wind, solar, and unproven battery storage. Now, the purveyors of green hydrogen have their hands out. Ironically, the UK, which is further down the net zero path than us, is experiencing energy shortages as the world leaders are about to jet in. We are told we have no choice but to go to net zero because international investors won't bring money to Australia. Since when did we outsource our sovereignty to global bankers? No one can tell us how net zero works, what the poor and the vulnerable do for electricity or what happens to the resources jobs in regional Australia. Yet my fellow Christians outside Morrison's office, well-meaning, no doubt, seemed oblivious to the social impacts. You only have to go for a walk along the beach here to see the deterioration of the sand and the swelling of seas, local Terry ann tells the Christian website Eternity News. You can see they haven't looked after the earth, she said. Swelling seas as evidence of climate change. Sea levels at Fort Denison in Sydney Harbour kept for 200 years these measurements, show no swelling. Eternity reports a hand-painted banner declaring, for the sake of all beings, no new coal or gas, was hung outside Morrison's office. The protesters don't explain what would happen and what this would mean for struggling people paying their bills or people in extreme poverty overseas who could be lifted by new coal and new gas. Whether it's gender fluid ideology, critical race theory or the climate emergency, the biggest thing missing from the political agenda of our global elites is the truth. Now, back in June, I launched a petition asking the ABC to stop sexualising children. 830 supporters and members of the CDP signed it. I said I'd take your voice to the ABC's headquarters and this week I did. Well, g'day. I'm coming to you from a very special part of inner-city Sydney. This is the headquarters of the Australian Broadcasting Commission or Corporation, the ABC. It's about as far away from mainstream Australia as you could possibly get without leaving the mainland. But I'm here today because uh, of you. Uh, 830 of you supporters and members of the Christian Democratic Party signed a petition that I put up in June of this year about the ABC sexualising children. You see their ABC Kids Facebook page uh, contained uh, content uh, of a a drag queen, uh, a man by the name of Shane Jenick, who dresses as a woman. He's uh, a a gay person. And they had him interviewing little children. And it was all about socialising and inducting children into the whole LGBTIQA plus gender fluid world. This is inappropriate. And sadly the ABC's uh, kids' Facebook page actually contained a link, a live link to Shane Jennick's Facebook page which contained all manner of sexualised images uh, of him, uh, semi-naked, uh, at the Mardi Gras, things in which no mainstream Australian mum or dad would think would be appropriate for their little children. So we put up this petition, uh, 830 of you signed it, thank you so much for taking action. And I've drafted a letter to Ida Buttrose Uh, that says to Ida, I've enclosed your, uh, Ida by the way, being the uh, chairman, chairwoman, chairperson, uh, they, the, them of the ABC. And she's the person in charge. And I want her to hear your voices and my voice uh, to say this is not okay. Uh, Doing this to little children, try to uh, make it seem normal that drag queens, that gender fluidity, that uh, homosexual concepts, bisexual concepts are are fine for children is not okay. And it's important that we speak up, so thank you for speaking up. If you are one of those 830 people who signed uh, the online petition, I want to thank you. It may not seem like much, and this is a bit of a, a stunt perhaps, but it matters that we are not silent in the face of what can only be described as evil. So thanks for your help. I'm going to go inside and drop this off to Ida at the front desk. And uh, I trust you'll continue to be uh, a loud Australian and take action when we need to. Well, that's it for Macquarie Street for this week. I hope you found this informative and helpful. You won't want to miss next week's show as I'll be talking about the Perrottet government's moves to water down the Christian Democratic Party's modern slavery bill. This was a landmark landmark piece of legislation. Yes, you heard that right. The Liberals in New South Wales want to make it easier for big companies to avoid their obligation to make sure there are no slaves being used in their supply chains. I'll talk with the bill's author, former CDP parliamentarian, Paul Green. Until next week, thanks for being with me and God bless.